Denise uh, checked with me a little while ago. We were going to come and do some music, and then she asked if I would teach a little bit on Hagar. When she wrote me that, I I forget where I was. I wasn't home, I don't think. And I thought, I'm not sure I have time to figure out a teaching on Hagar. So I called called and we talked, and I said, you know, it takes me a lot of time to put together a message. I said, but then... You just say the name Hagar, and I picture this broken woman sitting alone in the wilderness, and she has this moment with God when he sees her, and well, how can I not talk about her? (laughs) And so she gave me permission to just share those things. She said, that's exactly what's on my heart. So I... I'm sharing with you what I, how I would do my quiet time and just what I've been thinking about her and also the similarities that I have with her. And I think you do too. I, um, a while ago, I'm not sure how I watched this TED talk, but I don't have a TV, but every now and then I'll, you know, turn something on and I, I watched somebody talk about how to go through a museum. I don't know why, because I don't really go to a lot of museums, but they were talking about, you know, whenever you go to a museum, you don't usually have a whole lot of time, and it would really actually take you about 10 years probably to go through and see everything. And so this person said, this is how you go through a museum. So depending on how much time you have, you just you walk through all the rooms you want to walk through, and you look at everything quickly. And then what you do is... You pay attention to the one or two paintings or pieces of art or whatever you're looking at that you really, really want to drink in and take in. And then you go and you you go back to that one or two and you sit across from it and you just have your time with that and not try to have this meaningful moment with every little thing in the museum. And I thought, that's how I do my quiet time. So how I do my quiet time is I, I do one, I go through the one year Bible. Sometimes I listen to it in the morning, depending if I'm home or traveling or whatever. I, I listen to somebody read it. And then, kind of like that museum, I, I find that, that one place that calls me to look a little harder and look a little longer. And then I hang out there. Um, the story of Hagar, um, I'm just going to kind of set the scene for the, the one area where I want to hang out, the, the place that is so beautiful. I've never met her or seen her, but I have this painting of that moment in the wilderness in my mind, this, this vivid picture of that place where God meets us. And so you've probably read the story, but in uh, Genesis 15 and 16, mostly 16 is about Hagar, but it starts where Abraham, Abram at that time, he's telling God, God, I, I don't have any descendants. What am I going to do? Am I supposed to give my inheritance to this person that lives in my house that's not part of me? And God says, no. Your inheritance and your descendants are going to come from someone that comes from your own body. And then it says that, I love this part, that, that God took him out to look under the stars. To look up at the stars. And that moment I had to sit there, that was maybe my second little picture that I hung out with. (laughs) 
thinking of the times and how important it is for us to go to go out and stand at the ocean and, and don't just rush by it, but just sit there and drink it in and have your mind changed when you see something so big and you realize that God created that with his mouth. And the stars he created with his... There's this verse in, in Genesis that says he created this, he created that, he created this, and then he says, oh, and then he made the stars. <laughs> like, oh, and then he made the stars with his fingers. But I love that he took him out there. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants. He said, can you count these stars? Of course you can't. Well, that's what your descendants are going to be like. And Abraham believed, and it pleased God that he had faith to believe. He was an old man. And then you go down in chapter 16 of Genesis, and, and Sarai, at that time, her name hadn't been changed yet, She's getting impatient. She's getting tired of of waiting. And she has this idea. She says to Abram, "Um, I still haven't bore you any children. I have this maid. And back then it was perfectly legal to have a surrogate mother to carry on your family line if you couldn't have uh, children. You have her, you have a child with her, and that will, let's get this done. I have to say that just because something's legal, it doesn't always make it right. <laughs> you know, there's four characters in this story. There's Abram, Sarai, there's Hagar, and God. God wasn't talked to about this part by Abram or Sarah. Neither of them consulted God. So it happens, and Hagar conceives. And when she conceives, it says she despised Sarah. And then Sarah tears into Abram, this is all your fault. (laughs) Now my maid is with child, and she despises me. I heard some conjecture on why she would despise her. I I thought they were all wrong. I don't know. I thought, (laughs) I can see all kinds of reasons where here this poor maid, she had no choice in this situation. And then she thinks, I'm going to have a baby. And that's not even mine. It's hers. It could be many things, but it was bad enough that Sarah told Abram how upset she was and blamed him, really, for all this. And Abram said to her, she's yours. She's your servant. Do do whatever you want. And it says this. Sarah treated her harshly, treated Hagar so harshly that Hagar fled. She ran away. And in verse 7 of Genesis 16, it says this, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. And that's where I want to spend the most time hanging out. We'll, We'll talk a little bit more. But that's the, if I can say the picture in the museum, that's the place that just draws me. Because you think about Hagar and who she is, maybe even more who she isn't. She's nobody special. She's a servant. She's alone, all by herself, fleeing, running away. 
It says that this angel of the Lord found her. I think probably everyone in this room has a moment are many moments, like Gia was saying, in this process that we go through where, where God found us. Those are the most special moments in my life. The very first moment, the big moment, where I saw him for the very first time, which would be much more like this moment, was in my friend's mom's kitchen when I was 18 years old. And I heard about Jesus for the very first time. I was broken. I was empty. I was doing all this stuff that I didn't want to be doing, but I just couldn't seem to stop. The drugs, the alcohol, all that stuff. But, but really what was happening inside was emptiness. I so wanted to be known. I so wanted to be loved. I wondered if there was any reason at all, any purpose to this life. Honestly, I didn't even care if I was alive. And there's, of course, layers to the story, but this one moment, I went over to my friend's mom's house. It was, I'd cut school, which I did a lot. And I was hoping my friend's mom would be there. Her name's Julie. And I went over there, and she was there. And this day, Julie decided to talk to me about her God, this Jesus. Now, I knew that they were religious. I I honestly didn't really even know what a Christian, a real Christian was. Like, I had an image, but had no idea. I had never heard about Jesus. I'd never opened a Bible. And this moment, after I'd gotten to know my friend's mom, Julie... (laughs) After I'd gotten to know her for a while, the thing I knew about her was she cared about me, and I think that's why I'd go over to their house and I'd, I'd leave things there. So I had a reason to go back because I was painfully shy. I don't remember if I had an excuse that day, probably because I went there <laughs> in the middle of the day. And this was the day she told me about her God, this, this Jesus. And I remember as she was talking about him, at one point she stretched out her arms like Jesus on the cross, and her eyes filled up with tears. I still remember what she was wearing. (laughs) I remember that moment. And I didn't understand this whole thing, Jesus and the cross, and... But something in me, that place in me that was so empty, it, it was almost like it was getting bigger, like... The hunger was exposed. And when I saw those tears in her eyes, I thought, I don't get this, but whoever she's talking about is real to her. I was raised by a kind of famous psychologist. My mom did very well. Her first book sold millions, and she traveled the world, and and she... Her goal was to help people, but at that time she didn't have a relationship with Christ. And I'd seen all these people trying to work things out in their mind and from the outside in, psychology and all this stuff, and I grew to disdain it. I <laughs> just part of my teenage thing. I just it didn't work for me. 
But this person was talking to me about something that was actually in her. And as she went on to talk to me about her God, this Jesus, she asked me if I'd pray with her. And I said, yes. She came around the kitchen table and she said, grab my hands and just pray what I pray. So I asked her God, this Jesus, to please come into my heart, to please wash me clean and take control of my life. And the one thing, when I opened my eyes, the one thing I knew was that somebody answered. That that empty place in my heart is is right where he went. And I was just overwhelmed with this feeling and thought and the understanding that God came to me when I wasn't even looking for him. Maybe that's why I love Hagar so much. She fled. She was just running for her life. Though she was running to a wilderness where there was no life, she was just trying to get away. I don't think she was running there looking for God. She was a Gentile. She'd just been abused. She was a victim. She had nothing to do with any of this. It says an angel of the Lord found her. Found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. And it goes on to say that this angel of the Lord, he, he tells her her name and says, you're, you're Hagar, Sarai's maid. I love that. He didn't even ask her. He just told her. He was like, I know you. And he knows you. And he knows me. He knows where you work. He knows what you do all day. He knows the things that you go through that you think nobody sees. He sees. And he found her in the wilderness. The definition of a wilderness is a place that's uninhabitable, a place that's uncultivated. In our words, it's a hard place to live. You get in survival mode in the wilderness. You're just trying to survive. Well, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about God. And we're here to meet with God. And I think all of us have had times in the wilderness. It may not be out in a forest or a desert, but we're in times where it's a hard place to live. And we get in survival mode. Just trying to make it. Sometimes that wilderness can just be an area of our life. I'm talking about us here now. Sometimes that wilderness is something we just didn't see would ever come our way. And all of a sudden, we're in this terribly hard place to live. We didn't see it coming. It can be a diagnosis. A huge broken relationship. Bankruptcy. Mental problems. I mean, on top of everything else, Hagar was probably really hormonal. (laughs) We know how hard that can be. (laughs) It really can. (laughs) 
And I think of all the times God's met me in the wilderness. And I just know he's met you too. Matter of fact, those of you that are here and go to the study, you know, how many times have you been doing your study, reading something, writing something down, and there's just this moment, and you know God saw you, right? That's what gets us through. I mean, in some ways, this whole time on earth is a wilderness, right? This is not our home, but we keep trying to make it our home. Sometimes in the wilderness, though it's uncultivated and and not a place for us to live, we try to make it work. But really, many times in these stark wildernesses that kind of that we find ourselves in that we never really asked for to happen, it's a season. It's just a time time frame and maybe some of you are just you've been in the wilderness a while everything's changed you didn't see it coming your usual places that you'd go for resources finances food and water and shelter might have just gotten changed like that Or maybe it's a health issue. You never saw it coming. And now you are going to your treatments, you're going to the hospital, you're going to the doctor more than you ever had to go to, or or who knows. I know there's many in this room that are on the other side of one of those stories. And God met you in it. And God strengthened you in it. The thing about Hagar that stands out to me, maybe more than anything else, is the minute Denise mentioned her name, this scene just came to my mind. And you know, I didn't know a whole lot about Hagar. I don't know a lot of her backstory. What I know is that God met her there. God found her in the wilderness. And as it goes down in the story, the angel's telling her, He said her name, he said where she lives, and he told her to go back and submit to Sarai. And then he goes on to say, you're with child, and his name will be Ishmael, which means God hears, because God heard your affliction. And then he goes on to say, and this child of yours, he's going to have many descendants, more than can be counted, and he's going to be a wild man. (laughs) And his hand will be against everyone, and everybody's hand will be against him. And Now, that's not the best news to me. I would want to hear, and he's going to be this stallion. <laughs> but no, it says actually he's a wild donkey of a man in some versions. And in verse 13, she says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? It's interesting to me that here this angel of the Lord told her she needed to go back to Sarai and submit to her. Told her she was with, with, she was with child, and she knew that, but she didn't know anything else. And 
he named the child and then told her, you know, that he was going to be a man of great striving and strife. Going back to Sarai and hearing that about your son, to me, wouldn't be very great news. That would be really hard. But she doesn't even mention it. She's so overwhelmed that there in the wilderness she ran away with no options. God found her. He didn't just find her. She realized he knew everything about her. God cares. And that gave her the strength to go on. And when I think about Hagar and think about her being this sort of nobody, no one special, what makes her special is God. Her life makes me think of the kindness of God. What a legacy. How I would like that to be associated with my name. (laughs) You know, sometimes in our various wilderness places, we find ourselves being introduced to a, a different audience, so to speak, than we would have had otherwise. What I mean by that is when you go through loss. You know, years ago I lost my dad, and then a year and a half later I lost my mom, and then in the middle I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and it was really, really, really a hard time. But now when people come up to me and they say, I lost my mom last week, lost my dad a year ago even. I don't look at them like I used to. I used to feel bad, but now I'm like, I'm so sorry. That's all you need to say. Just have that moment where you understand that hurts. But I could tell you so many ways God found me in that wilderness. So much so that that's what I remember more than the pain of it. And sometimes you hear things like, you know, your wilderness or your trouble, that that doesn't define you. But really, the wilderness did define Hagar because that's where she met God. That's where she saw him, found out who he was, found out she was seen by him. And when we find ourselves in these trials, these hard things, sometimes we're just scraping it together, wondering, is it ever going to be like it was or how I thought it was going to be? And it may never. There's this thing in us, this drive, I'll say in me, where I want to get fixed. I think... I'll do better for the Lord, with the Lord. He might even like me a little better if I was just more fixed, (laughs) not so broken. And really, I'd say in the last year or so, I'm finally getting it through my head that he's okay with us being broken. That keeps us close to him, keeps us calling out to him. And in that brokenness, when you might feel the weakest you've ever felt in your whole life, 
you might have more of a voice than you've ever had. Because as you're letting him speak to you, as you're holding on, holding on to him for dear life, you've got something to say to a whole new group of people. And you have eyes for them. If I hear somebody, see somebody sticking their finger, trying to get the blood off, put it on the little thing, and they have an insulin pump, <laughs> we have an immediate wilderness bond. <laughs> I saw a little girl with a little insulin pump on her arm when I was in somewhere in where people were wearing bathing suits. I probably wasn't, but anyway, I see this little insulin pump on my arm, and hey, I showed her mine. I got one too. High five. <laughs> I never would have noticed that. I wouldn't have known what it was. So be encouraged if you're right in the middle of it, that God wants to use you there. And if you've been through a few of those times, Dust off your memories of how God met you there and ask him to show you people where you can shine for him. Because what struck me in a new way and something I'd never thought about when I thought about Hagar before when I was looking at her this time around. I woke up one morning and I, I had this memory of one of the times I was in Russia I've been there 12 times, and I think 11 times I've been with Debbie. Um, I don't think, I know. And <laughs> but actually, the very, very first time I was in St. Petersburg, it was a long time ago, and I was doing, there was, I had a little band, and we were doing music in this park, and it was an evangelistic thing. And, and what would happen was people would stop and they'd listen, and then you'd see a team member, and you'd see a translator, and they'd go stand by somebody, and then they'd start talking. And then I'd see him reading their Russian-English Bible. You know, and I'm standing there singing, and I'm watching this happen. All these people share. Well, there was this one woman. I see her vividly in my mind, even though it was many years ago. And she stood just dead on in my view. And I remember she had kind of uncomfortable clothes on, you know, and she had all these bags in her arms, and she was just standing there staring at us singing. And then her shoulders kind of relax, and she's just looking at us. And I'm thinking, why isn't anybody going to go talk to her? Why isn't anybody going? And I'm singing, playing, and praying, you know. And another song, nobody goes. And I'm just aching, but I can't really just stop, you know. Now after like the third time, like another song, nobody's coming. She's just standing there and her, you know, you see a person's countenance and you can just read it sometimes. She was looking with such just, what is this? And as I was praying in my head and feeling this drawing to this woman, the Lord spoke to me and said, that's how I feel. I see these people. And there's these Christians right over there. And I'm like, go, go, go. (laughs) See, we're all the way on the other side of the cross. We're in a whole different time with the Lord. 
And we know it's his heart to search. He'll leave the 99 for the one. He's searching. He's searching for the Hagars. He's searching for the broken. He's searching for those that need him. And we might be the ones that he wants to use our eyes to see them to bring his word to them, to bring his kindness, his hands and his feet to them. Like my friend's mom shared with me. A side note, don't keep all the little bad kids out. You just pray about it. (laughs) So in thinking of her in this moment, in this moment with God, in this I was thinking about the songs for tonight. And actually, Gia, you can come up if you want. And I thought, I think every single song I've recorded has probably been as a result of one of those moments where God found me in a hard situation, and I can't help but want to share that with you. <laughs> thinking about Hagar at that little stream by herself. I want to sing a song called Come Away. It's this song that I seem to be always right in the middle of. I usually write a song after I go through something and then I've come out the other side and I want to share about that process. Well, this one, I just seem to always be right in the middle hearing him say, Come away. Come away.